Welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host. At Stand Up Tragedy, we bring together all kinds of tragic performers, comedians, spoken word artists, storytellers, musicians, and more. And we get them to stand up on stage and do some tragedy. And that's what we've been doing all August up at the Edinburgh Festival. And we do it regularly in London as well. Today's show is going to be some of the highlights from our Edinburgh run. We're going to be bringing you a compilation of some of the moments that we captured on stage when we were up as part of the Free Fringe this year. Before we get to that, a few bits of what I like to call sadmin to go over with you. So we're no longer doing the tragedy up there, but if you've been enjoying our podcast or you came to see us live and you'd like to contribute to the tragedy to help us make more tragedy and to help offset the costs of the tragedy then you can donate to us over on our website www.standuptragedy.co.uk there's a paypal button on there and we appreciate any donations that you feel that you'd like to give to us also we have a show coming up on the 25th of september we're at the dog star in brixton with tragic friends which is going to be our edinburgh reunion party we're going to be showcasing some of the tragedy that we saw in edinburgh so it'll be a mixture of new acts that we discovered there that we hadn't had before who blew us away old friends who perform with us up there and regularly support the show and maybe a few acts who we couldn't get to perform with us while we were there because of schedule clashes and the like, but who have amazing tragedies that we really want to share with our audiences. So that's happening on the 25th in the Dog Star in Brixton. It's going to be pay what you like, same as we were in Edinburgh. So basically come along, enjoy the tragedy, and then give us the money that you can afford to give us or the money you think that the show deserved. If you follow us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy, that's the number four, or you like us or friend us on Facebook, you can find more information about that show. Running up to it, we'll be telling you about it. We'll also be telling you about other podcasts that we put out. So it's really worth making friends with some tragedy or following some tragedy to keep informed on what we're doing. We have plenty more material from Edinburgh that we're going to be putting out as podcasts over the next few weeks between now and Tragic Friends. We've also been putting out podcasts all through August, so there's plenty to listen back to in the archives. And in fact, not just through August, we've been going for three years and we have three years of amazing, tragic audio for you to have a listen to. So you can find that on iTunes stitcher soundcloud anywhere that podcasts go to hang out on the internet basically so subscribe to the tragedy follow the tragedy share the tragedy also we relaunched our blog at the start of august and we're putting out tragic writing over there so you can find that on our website and if you write tragedy yourself and you'd like to submit some tragedy get in contact with us As I said, our next London show is on the 25th of September and we've got another one coming up in 2015. We've got Tragic Horror and that's on the 25th of October. So it's easy to remember our London dates this year. It's the 25th of September followed by the 25th of October. On today's show, we're sharing five different performers 
We've got some tragedy that I missed from the nights that I took off. We've got Mab Jones doing some poetry and we've got Yusufo Jallo who is doing some African storytelling and Anil G who is doing poetry and discussion around the idea of depression, his own experiences of depression. Those are the three I missed. The host for the two shows that they're from was Charlie Harrison, who's a comedian who Stand Up Tragedy supports and likes very much. The amazing storyteller Tim Ralphs was in our venue with us and we became great friends with him up in Edinburgh and he basically was our go-to person when a performer didn't show up so we're going to end the show with him filling in when a performer didn't show up but then in the middle the performer does show up and this performer is the story beast so that's your lineup today we're going to go in between those different extracts those different clips so there's going to be some laughs, there's going to be some thoughts, there may be some tears, and that's the thing to remember. Stand-up tragedy deals with dark themes. Sometimes people are talking about dark themes in an irreverent way. Other times they are talking about them in a serious way. And so be prepared for that. Uh, if you have uh, mental health issues, if you have maybe experiences of uh, dark times in your the way you experienced your childhood or whatever... This show is something that will explore those themes. So be aware of that. And relax, sit back and prepare yourself for some tragedy. You don't know what, what to expect with stand-up tragedy. Different every night and our performers are just arriving. Well done, guys. Um, so I'm going to introduce our first act um, to the stage today. Um, please give your warmest welcome to Mab... Jones, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mab. I've come here from Wales. Uh, I actually come from a city called Cardiff. Anyone here from Cardiff at all? Great. Anyone here from Ely in Cardiff? No. So there's no one here from Marcross Road, Ely and Cardiff. There's no one here from number 52, Marcross Road, Ely and Cardiff. In that case, I'd just like to say, Leroy's a fucking twat, and Ailey's a ca skanky cow who stinks a poloni. Anyway, um, I feel better after I've said that. Um, I've got this book out. Obviously, I'm a sort of highbrow uh, kind of poet. Um, I write about love and beauty and tits um, a fair bit. Um, I'm going to do a poem that's inspired by Pam Ayres. Do you know her most famous poem, Oh, I Wish I'd Looked After Me Teeth? Some of you do, some of you do. Well, this is my version of that, because I'm on the shadow side of 30, and things are changing. So this is what it is. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me tits, the two great front wobbly bits, all the bad brows I chose, and the ill-fitting clothes. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me tits. I wish I'd been that much more able when my front bits were firm-like and stable to choose a twin cup in to hold me boobs up in that were wired up with big bits, big bits of cable. When I think of the braziers I wore that made both me bosoms feel sore, they was either too tight or too loose-like and slight, but I didn't mind, I could score. Me mother, she told me no end. Don't you follow that lacy briar trend? I was young then and gormless, me bras was all formless, I never had much time to spend. Oh, I slunk off around them all right, but I chose things that didn't fit right. The lace scraps I bought didn't give much support, but I didn't mind in the night. 
my mother's advice did she did I spurn? Too late, oh too late did I learn. If I chosen a brazier that looked much less jazzier, me boobs now would be much more firm. Now I lays in me bed and each breast do slope down each side to me chest. They wobbles and jiggles like fat worms they wiggles and sits on me knees when I rest. Oh, I laughed at me mother's front bits. Now it's mine that flop down when I sits. Me proud pointed shooters, now two flabby hooters. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me tits. And that's the end of that poem. So um, I'm just sort of dressing up tragedy as the tragedy of aging and going out with lots of arseholes. I hope that's, that's okay um, because I've, I've got both of those going on. Um, I'm actually going out with a nice person now, but that's not fitting with the theme. Um, <laughs> So uh, this is my book, which came out three days ago, but it's got poems in it from like seven years ago when I was going out with one of the many assholes. Anyone else had this asshole, 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 asshole? Nice one. I'm, yeah, just a lifetime full of fuckers, um, including Leroy, who I mentioned earlier. Um, but my first ever poem was actually about, yeah, that, that fucking asshole, one of those fucking assholes, some of the other fucking assholes. Um, and it's called... Cardiff song and everything in this one is is true. He was from Ely and her from Pontcanna. She lived with her mum and him with his nana. Nowhere to go, so they went to the park. The grass was so green and he had a full bag. Skin up, block up, feel up, knock up, but she was 13, so they went to, you went to the lock up. I like you like, I don't know why. Your face ain't that good, but that S is all right. That's a male voice, by the way. <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> she wore her skirts right up to you. Real leather boots and white fake fur. Clothes from Prima, gold from Argos. Orange foundation and too much lip gloss. Little white thong and black push-up bra. And she found love each night standing outside the spa. I likes you like, you knows I do. Last week I loved her, but now I loves you. She liked a Chinese, but he liked a curry. She said, let's get married. He said, what's the hurry? She patted her guts, I'm expecting, she said. He thought of her dad. Next week they was wed. Seven months later, he got a surprise. The baby was fine, but it had Chinese eyes. I likes you like, I don't like your sister. You're my true love, I swear I ain't kissed her. Their eyes met across a crowded chippy. He played with his phone, she put on some lippy. She ordered a sausage, he asked for two combs. They knew they were cousins, their last names was Jones. They started to date, they were mad for each other and found out too late that they had the same mother. I like you like, I don't do lying. I didn't go with her, so fucking stop crying. That's the end of my first ever poem about love. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm going out with a, a lovely, <laughs> lovely chap now, but the tragic aspect of that is um, he's a lot younger than myself, and what that seems to have done is other people see him with me. He's there, lovely, gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeous, <laughs> inappropriately youthful. But anyway, let's all get pissed and see what happens because that, that's what occurred there. One too many alcoholic beverages. Um, but it seems to have opened him up to the advances of other, other humans, especially women of my age or older, touching him here, touching him there, touching, me, touching him every fucking where. And I feel jealous. Um, so I've written a poem called Jealous, but because I am a working poet, it's also a poem for Father's Day because they asked me to do that. So I called it Jealous and in brackets, a poem for Father's Day. It's a bog-off poem. I do quite a few of those. So it, it goes like this. Johnny. <laughs> I'm jealous of your left hand. 
because it gives you pleasure when I'm not around. I'm jealous of your right hand because it gives you pleasure when your left hand is tired. I'm jealous of your imagination in which every woman in the world exists. I'm jealous of your lack of imagination in which I'm wearing too many clothes. I'm envious of your underpants which hold your manhood as a rich man clutches coins. I'm envious of your rucksack because it clings to your back like a lover. I'm jealous of your wallet and its well-worn finger zip. I'm jealous of the paper that you possess with thrusts of ink. I'm jealous of your laptop because it tops your lap. But most of all, I'm jealous of your mother because she had you inside her for nine whole months at once. And then I'm jealous of your dad, his potent scrotum that held the very soul of you that made you from nothing but air and light. A tiny quark turned into a spark that then formed spunk and met the mound of your mother's egg with a blind warrior's spirit. That's your essence and I want in it. Anyway, happy Father's Day. That's the end of that poem. How am I doing for the time? minutes, okay. So um, this is one that I haven't performed for about five years. So I do a lot of work in schools now, and I'm not allowed, but I'm in a fucking underground pit with a lot of, I hope, drinking adults. No kids, are there? Great, fantastic. So this little ditty, again based on my real life experience, is about a paedophile priest, and I've called it Judas Priest. Uh, and it's generally part of my, because it's sort of tragic, tragic life that has made me a comic poet. La la la, la la la, Judas Priest. <laughs> Like Christ, he was gentle and loving and good. His life lived in honour of God. He guided the parish as well as he could. He was their staff and their rod. But he touched his flock more than a good shepherd should. They wanted his rod. He gave them his wood. Never a vicar more sicker. La la la. <laughs> Up in the pulpit, he'd go through the lesson. If you sin, you'll go to hell. Then the girls entered his box for confession. He'd enter their box as well. They'd say they felt, felt lustful, the vicar would bless them, then he'd pull back the screen and begin to undress them, not like a priest in the least. In omni patrie, filie, spiritus sancti, the priest gave a really good mass, but after the show, he'd always feel randy and start to look round for her lass. If she was young, he'd offer her candy if old, or advice, and he'd ply her with brandy, a very sinister minister. Like Jesus at times, he could get a bit cross if he couldn't nail someone he liked. So for all those virgins and brides of Lesbos, their small glass of brandy gets spiked. But most of the time they give in to his want, like staff they would service his rod. And after he'd wash himself off in the fonts, this perverted servant of God, like most, just a filthy old sod. Amen. Thank you. Mab Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this next guy uh, is doing a show called Africa Cows... Calfoot, you can find him at, and sorry for the pronunciation, yusuferjallo.com. I may have not said that right, but you can correct me as you get on the stage. Um, please give it all you've got now because this is the last performer for the final instalment of tragedy. It's Yusufa Jallo. How you all doing? Good. All right, usually I do storytelling. And, um, and uh, 
not um I, look, once in a while I do comedy, but I usually nowadays I like to put my comedy into uh, my story. And I'm gonna take you very much into Africa. Um, I hope you're ready for that, though. And I've just finished the show um, at um, St. John's Church, and I'm going to be there again tomorrow um, if you want to see um, Africa's Cowfoots, full-fledged um, storytelling with lots of um, music and so on. So I'm going to come with my drum uh, to keep something back for you. Plus, God, why not give it raw as it comes? All right, you all ready? Yeah. I say, are you ready? Yeah. All right, when I say in, you give me out. In. Uh, I say in, uh, I say in, uh, when I tell you, I want to tell you a story, you tell me, oh, get on with it, I want to tell you a story. I said, I want to tell you a story. I say in, uh, I say in, uh, there was a law, there was a law, there was a rule in this town, there was a law, a rule in this town that every time you go to the farm, if you go to the farm, you finish working at the farm before the sun sets. You must leave the farm to go back home because at that time, as the sun is setting, that's the time all the genies or genies or if you like demons or ogres, if you want to call them, that's the time they all return back to their homes in the caves that is all around the farms. I say, in. I said, I want to tell you a story. And all of them, everybody has to go back because the genies have to come back. And so every single day they will go to the farms and they will work and they will work. And when they finish, they will all go back home and the genies will come home. There was an old lady and this old lady, she had one dog and this lady had no farm. Every day as the people finish working in their farm, she will go to the farms and she will harvest the little rice, the little rice stalks that are now left in the farm. She will harvest them, go home, parboil the rice, thresh everything, cook it for herself and her dog to eat. And that's what they will eat every single day. This is what this old woman will do every single day. One day she went to the farm, the sun was up. She had finished harvesting all the parboiled rice. Thought, oh, well, you know what? You know, the sun is up. Why not? Let me just go into the abule. And abule is like a hut in a farm. Let let me just go into the abule, just put all this thing, and I know I'll parboil the rice there, thresh everything, cook it there, why not? The sun is up. She went in there, and then she parboiled the rice, thresh everything, put it there, and then she was busy. She was pounding the rice, pounding it, pounding it. She did not realize, she did not realize that the sun had gone down. Her dog was outside the abule, as she pounded. All of a sudden, the genies were coming. It was the baby Jenny that came first and heard the sound. And the baby Jenny asked, Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. In my language, it means who is pounding in that hut? Nkana, who? Young, to pound. A banka means the hut. Wege de wege de. When you tie the wrapper or the sarong, and as you're pounding, it's making wiggity wiggity sound, all right? And you say, who's pounding in that hole? Whose wrapper is going wiggity wiggity? And, um, and as the genie asked, and the dog laying outside heard, and the dog answered, and that's your bit. I said, that's your bit. The dog is out. It is us. It is us. It is only us. 
and the Gina asked again. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Na he na he na he na na he na ondo na he. And the woman came out. What kind of dog is this? You see this dog? What? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Stupid dog! Wicked dog! Shut up! Lay down! Sit! <laughs> and the dog sat down. And she went in again. Boy, 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 boy. The genie asked again. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. I cannot believe this. Can you believe that? What kind of a dog is this? Vanessa? The woman, she came out. She got the dog. She took a stick and she beat the dog black and blue. The dog, sit. Stupid, ungrateful dog. All this time I bring you here. All this time I fed you. This is what you want to do. You want this genie to come and kill me here. You sit down. Shut up. She went in again. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Na he na he na he na na he na hondo na he. Yeah, the woman she came out this time. She took a machete, chopped the dog, and killed the dog. She went back in, ungrateful. Now I know you dog, you have witchcraft. She went back in. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Na he na he na he na na he na undo na he. The dead dog answered. <laughs> and this woman she came. Now I know this dog is full of witchcraft. Now I know why I am so poor. It's because of this witch dog. And she came out. She took the dog, took the machete, chop 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 the dog like a kebab. Gather the dog and put it down. She went back in. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Na he na he na he na na he na ondo na he. Eh? The woman she came and said, Eh? Now she gathered this kebab chopped up dog and put the dog in the fire and lit up a fire and burned the whole damn thing up. She came back in. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Na he na he na he na na he na ondo na he. The woman she went outside. She grabbed a broom, grabbed the dustpan, and swept the fireplace and swept the whole fireplace. This witch dog hair. This dog swept everything. Took the fireplace and threw all the ashes away. She came back. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. Nkana yonka bankanka wege de wege de tiga. And the hair that was on the broom started singing. And this woman, she took the broom, took the dustpan, took everything, went to the river, washed everything, came back and washed the whole place clean. She went back in the hut. By this time, the other genies were coming. Bigger genies were coming. Bigger genies were coming. 
Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Bigger Gina is where coming. Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Bigger Gina is where coming. Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Gana young Kabankanka, we get a regular tiger. Bigger Gina is where coming. They came, a huge volcanic mountain they formed. A huge volcanic mountain they formed with fire spewing out of their heads with one big explosion. They engulfed the hut and the lady in it. Everything has a purpose on this earth, even the dogs. I am Yusuf Ujalo, the Cowfoot Prince. Thank you so very much. your final uh, tragic performer there. The next tragic act is the penultimate act. I'm very excited about this one. Please give your most tragic, warmest welcome to Anil G. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Really, I'm fine. Well, up until Charlie called my name anyway, there's no long walk to compose myself for an arrangement of grey and black upon this stage. Well, although, you know, this is Edinburgh, so, you know, the clouds are, are literal as well, metaphorical. Black thought is almost certainly going to go wrong. As I'm standing here, looking at you, looking for acceptance and accepting it can't be there, as I'm trying to coax the words from, my, from their holes, Mind's eyes cheese to lure the scurrying mice since all of a sudden my mind's gone. Someone's holding a closing down sale in my brain has emptied that warehouse except for a few tattered lexemes described in the catalogue as slightly foxed. I really need those synapses to fire now, drag engrams of recitations from who knows where, from who cares where, to spark electrical surges, to set an electrical fire so that I can blaze a lyrical trail and for your entertainment. And so I entertain mental dreams that this was a good idea. But sparks never leap like you want them to, and the fire is out of control. And the arsonist stands back impassive, as sentences are scorched and tales are torched. I'm not going to set this stage on fire, except to leave it strewn with ashes of burnt out words. My altar lambs on the pyre of self-confidence. In the back of my head, I'll silently tally, missed lines, unteen stumbled words, a rhythm that didn't hold in that stanza. In freefall, a nosedive just sputtering now, in the hopes that there's just enough fuel to bring us to a landing of sorts. Brace yourselves, this may be a bumpy ride. Thank you. Um, a word of, I don't know, caution. This isn't actually the set I had intended to do when I signed up for, um, for this gig, but I wanted to talk to you, particularly in the wake of events of this week um, and the news, the tragic news that we got on Tuesday regarding um, Robin Williams' passing, um, to tell you a personal tale. Um, this is a true story of me in my younger days, and I thought it would help. I kind of needed to tell this, so I hope you will indulge me um, for this and you'll kind of like 
work around the, the some of the pieces that I had planned. So, so picture scene. It's Cambridge. It's 1999. It's winter. Um, it's the second year of um, my uni, and the first year hadn't gone so well. I'd nearly failed my exams, and so I'd been brought before my college master and a, and a panel of like my tutor and the. Uh, and a couple of other people, uh, senior members of the college, and I had to explain kind of like what went wrong and how I was going to go and fix that uh, and what could what could happen in order to, uh, to do that. Um, and so with all of that, I was feeling really isolated. I hadn't made many friends in my first year. And it's that kind of like feeling of being stuck amongst people who are much more clever than you, feeling more and more like you're an imposter there. And there was this email group that I was part of, old school, well, I think school friends, but as it turns out, they weren't quite so friendly. Um, and we'd been chatting, messages backwards and forwards, until a point came when somebody had, somebody messaged and said that they'd come up with this awesome prank, this awesome joke. They'd signed up to a website purporting to offer Russian brides. And they were posing as a wealthy Englishman uh, and was having this conversation with supposedly one of the ladies on there and offering to bring her over and up. Now, how true this actually is, as a naive 19-year-old, I wasn't really going to, I wasn't really questioning that. All it seemed to me was this really wasn't, this really wasn't on. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with the way this was going. Um, and with the way they were supposedly stringing her along. Um, so back and forth, my messages, and mine were the only ones who seemed to be against this course of action, um, the, the, this so-called joke. Um, and things just started, started spiraling. I started missing lectures, I wasn't feeling good, and it all kind of culminated one day when I sent a message back along the lines of, fine, you can have this joke in peace. You're not going to hear from me anymore. And so that was it. That afternoon was me, two bottles of wine, and as much paracetamol as I could get my hands on. Me sitting there with that on the table, staring at my nemesis. Born of the darkness and a quicksilver kiss, a carnival of emotions clad in shadowy bliss, for moulded with anger and the sting that insistence swears it's all right, with vituperative hiss. As the rage simmers slowly, jammy sweetness that glistens, sweetness, jammy sweetness that glistens, floating the razor edge, bite of the crisp, fangs for the memory of the soul's hubris, tangs in the memory whose absence you miss, as hate melts on pain which you're loath to dismiss, daubs tarsheen on heart to bring forth a mirror of this, and a slow burn reflection that shows that you need this. Thankfully, there was a knock on the door. Someone from, someone from that email group had actually alerted the college and they sent someone round to check, on, to check up on me. Um, and they sat with me until the doctor came. At that point I was diagnosed with uh, acute depression. I took two weeks off to try and like, rest myself, work something out. Uh, and I decided at the end of that two weeks I was going to come back to uni and, and try and sort, uh, sort out the rest of the year and, and carry on. 
But I came back, my weight plummeted, I was living on basically three digestives a day and as much coffee as I could drink. I wouldn't eat unless somebody made me a meal or forced me to, to cook something. I still couldn't face a lecture, so I ended up degrading that year. There's a few other bits and pieces uh, along the way, but generally, I got into my head that um, my old school was to blame. And I rent, and I went, when I got back home, I wrote a series of poems that I ended up delivering to, one, to my old teacher at the school. I'm not going to read you one of those, because thankfully they're all lost. They were really bad. But it was a case that I couldn't really trust who I was or what I was seeing when I looked in the mirror. He's the me I cannot see, reflected in silver and refracted by glass, reaching out as I pass so he can pilfer a little more data prismatically. He's just as trapped as I am in a white-tiled room in sharp edge focus, shard of eye not seeing eye to eye, shard of me caught in vanity, shackled by a pain of pain, and yet we reach for each other. He's reaching out, I'm reaching behind that glass divide for keys in Catfield that he can't swallow. He's a hallucination of distorted light, the me I see when I don't trust my eye, my, own very, my very own optical illusion, a victim of duality extrusion, self-infliction of funfire size, the wrongness I often wish was right. He must really hate me. I mean, I would if I were him, his bastard master with a summoning spell down pat, no words, just a glance to bring him before me, never thinking that he may want... Never thinking what he may want might be doing subjugation by sight, an inalienable right, granted by the laws of optics. My Dwight de Seigneur exercised when in reflective mood, and his eyes have long since glazed over. Now, fast forward many more years, and through medications that didn't work, and work that I don't really believe in, um, and about two years ago, I came across this competition to writer's kind of time capsule poem. But it wasn't, it wasn't so much like looking back at your past self, it was what would you say to your future self? So, now I didn't end up winning that, but um, I thought I'd write this final piece and um, recite for you now. It's called Legacies. This is my apology to you. To look upon my works, you would despair. I have not decreed a stately pleasure dome, nor made a castle of my home. I have no treasure vaults of rubies, nor chariot winged or otherwise. I rule no lands except where dice drives policy. Anything you've got, it hasn't come from now, except perhaps an overwrought lexicon, lovingly stuck to the binding, full of the joys of a fantasy currency and a strange definition for what counts as contemporary. Truly a bounty for three decades past. I hope it served you well. But I'm mostly sorry that I haven't managed to find a suitable home. For the black dog stray who lolls around, who woke up beside me, us one teenage day, a companion most loyal if demanding of frequent exercise, particularly in the lean moments of the year, of frequent feeding on saintly wards and nice-born treats of all that attention in every shadow between the sunbeams. I haven't yet found the strength to send him packing, but I just can't lose him to the feral dark, unleashed and uncounted, intense and incorrigible scamp that he is. I made him a kennel by my heart, and there he sits and guards, puts me down when it's all too much, my boon companion. So yeah, I know this isn't anything new from your vantage point up there, but I just wanted you to know, in case of dull resignation, I really, really am very sorry. I wish I could have helped you more.
I'm almost out of time, <laughs> but there is a happier ending to that. And if you do want to find out more, you can come and grab me afterwards. Um, but I will leave it there. And thank you very much for indulging me. Thank you very much, Angie. Okay. Thanks very much. Right. So our last uh, performer. Uh, do we, is, 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 is that one right? The other one hasn't arrived? No, yes, no? Right, so the next performer is fantastic. He's doing a show here uh, in, the, in this very room at 9.50, yeah? 9.50 every night. Uh, it's called Rebranding Beelzebub and it's a storytelling show. And here, so we're going to welcome him to the stage. Put your hands together, everybody, for... Tim Ralphs! And, and, he, thank, and thank him very much for doing this at the last minute. You're too kind. Literally, I was just sort of dragged off the streets where I was flyering. And I don't know, like by this, I'm, I'm halfway through my Edinburgh now. And my brain is, is kind of on autopilot. So it'll take a while for me to switch over and not just every time I see someone staying still for longer than five seconds, which is like a flyer. It's going to be a great show. It's called Rebranding Beelzebub. Um, so most of the show is uh, quite lighthearted, uh, satanic storytelling. But there is a good, a good nine solid minutes of tragedy that I will do for you now. Once there was a farm. On that farm, there lived a widow and her son, a boy, not quite a man. And it wasn't that he was a bad farmer, but he didn't enjoy it. He hated the repetitiveness of the work. At the end of each day's labour, he'd look back at the furrows in the field and he'd see them as the days, the weeks, the years of his life stretching forward. So similar. Every Saturday, he'd go into town to buy and sell whatever it is that they had or they needed. And on Saturday evenings, his mum, who loved him, would be perched on the end of the garden gate, watching for him, coming on that familiar path home. And then one Saturday, she saw him coming home with a, a bit of a spring, maybe even a skip in his step. And he was holding something behind his back. As he got close to the gate, the mother said, what have you got there? Mum, he said, mum. You won't believe it. Underneath a flagstone in the garden, I found a pouch full of money. It, yes, those are our savings. We need that to get through the winter. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Mum, I'm not going to be a farmer anymore. I'm going to be, and he produced a varnished violin. I'm going to be a fiddle player. She said, that's nice, but you've never played before. How hard can it be? He set the violin beneath his chin. He put the bow upon the strings. He began to play. Now it is a myth that fiddle strings have ever been made out of cat gut, but there was something of the tortured feline in the sound that emanated from that fiddle. Well, the mother, she managed to keep the smile fixed on her face, but the boy could see this was not good. He said, it's all right, Mum. I'll carry on working on the farm, and then I'll come home in the evening and I'll practice. So that was how it was. He'd work, he'd come back body aching from his labours, They'd eat a meal together and then he'd go upstairs and he'd scrape away and he hated the repetitiveness of every arpeggio, the similarity of every scale. At the end of each night, with the shrill notes of the violin ringing in his ear, he would bounce the fiddle off the foot of the bed and he would curse. That the devil take the farm, that the devil take the violin, that the devil take his lot in life. 
Well, that year, things just kept getting worse. The sun was so feeble even in the height of summer and the grain never turned golden in the fields. The vegetables they dug up from the garden, they were rotten before they were ever ripe. And by autumn, by winter, the mother was forced to go from house to house, neighbour to neighbour, begging for food or money. But door after door closed, face after face turned away. In the hardest part of the year, the dark of the gold of the early spring, the mother was desperate. Her son came in from one day when he was trying to break open the earth to plough into the icy ground. They had a watery meal of soup together and he went upstairs to practice the violin and she heard the sound of his nightly cursing. Maybe that gave her the idea. She built up the fire in the fireplace. She turned the mirrors to face the walls. She shuttered, closed every window, and she summoned up the devil by reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards all the way from the Amen ever and ever for glory through to the heaven in art who father hour. Thirteen times she said the words. And on the thirteenth, the fire seemed to die away. The whole farmhouse was plunged into darkness. The walls, the ceiling seemed to vanish. And through that expansive darkness, she heard the sound of feet falling, something approaching. And then she felt the <sighs> warm on her face, a voice like singing children. And that's a really good teaser for Tim's show. Oh, you see, now that, you didn't know it was going to be that tragic tonight, did you? How captivating is he as a storyteller? You come and see him in this room at 9.50 and you will get the devil's due. He, put your hands together for him. Be disappointed, because you should be, because I wanted to hear the end of that story too. And this man came in from flyering to take a slot. The man who was coming for that slot desperately from his last gig has arrived. And now he, we can squeeze him on the bill if we finish there. So that's what's happening. But you get an extra act. Uh, oh, oh, we didn't expect an extra act either. So, ladies and gentlemen, he's a fantastic storyteller himself. He uh, is doing a show at nine o'clock at the Pleasance Courtyard as part of his uh, sketch comedy group, The Beta Males, called Happen Stunts. He is doing some stand-up every day for free at Espionage at 1.15. Put your hands together for The Story Beast! We gardener, in gear take em seot könige, frim gefrunon, who tha ethelingus elen fremedon. In halen herot, god king rotka haven pesky problem. Ein menstres monster der Fans, Grendel Gongen, wird skrept in der Halle, in dichte Nichte, und strongle the warriors in the bed. <laughs> so, from Arthur Whale Road, straight out of Geatland, Rodgar called a man of meaty armor, a honey badger stranger, <laughs> by a wolf, who sounded a lot like Ray Winstone. And so, in Dichtenichte, when everyone good and pissed up, 
who should come heading into the hall but Grindel Gungan? And he thinks to himself, hmm, the bag and juicy good. But what do you think going to happen? Up streak of Beowulf and Ross of the Monster Dan. Ross of Delilah. Delilah, Slag. Delilah. Who is the daddy? Delilah. Slag and he ripped the arm off of Grindel. Ah! Army And there was much rejoicing in the harlow. Well, this and Nictor and that and Nictor and the Nictor after that, but the Nictor after that. When everyone got and pissed up. <laughs> who should come here and into the harlow but massive troll had Grendel who strangle many the more the warriors and Beowulf feel like, what? We're gonna need a bigger boat. <laughs> But he reading out Farici, open Gangam style, <laughs> until he came to a forest, dead he bereft of leaf, and in the forest a certain poil, rippling which weird and corns, and stranger beasties. So Beowulf, he stripped the bullock keeper. <laughs> and he cast out for to find a manx and minstein motor and as he swam what should come here him from the darkness but massive troll hack grendel motor who drag a warrior down he down he will have a drink <laughs> 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 scream a bell for sit down and as everything wasn't a good drink, and as everything got it was very good, and as everything got black, what should Beowulf see glinting in the darkness? But an giant Kneifen from Warrior Snack Former, <laughs> and he grabbing, and he hefting, and he Thundercats who cut a head off. It was amazing, and there was much rejoicing in the harbour. Many in Yaren Lata, you know. It's a long time Lata. As a Slav, you know. You know Slav? We know happen no more because it races. But as a Slav, you know, and the Slav going to the bottle. And in the bottle was a gold. It joins. I am Jewish, by the way. So this isn't racist. <laughs> And goiled. He just. There are no Jews in Beowulf. They're not there. They're not up there. They're not out in Geekland or with the Danes. Not at that time. And he go into the banner and in the, in the, in the, and in the banner is goiled. He joils. His scaly sleepers gone. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. But the Slav don't know that. So he go into the battle and he take a joilet cop. And what do you think? Squad, squad, squad! Big fucking dragon come out! Burn down the felder! Whoosh! Burn down the shooter! Whoosh! Oh, these near gear plates, dragon! Whoosh! And Beowulf, he all like, Whoop. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> but he reading out for to face a massive reptile. High on on hill was stood. <laughs> High on on hill 
Stood Wiglaf, Comitatus, Kinfolk, Bezimate, and slightly gay for Beowulf. <laughs> and he see he dreadlord swanging and slashing for Dragonflesh. And then he see he dreadlord fall. So, Wiglaf, hefting hafter in hand, reading out, and he swanging, and he hefting, and he... And exploded. It was amazing. And Wiglaf, the all like, I've done that. For Beowulf, he saw the grief. And with his final breath, he goes, Apologies. If it make you feel sad. Seeing this a tense, <laughs> nicked to self-confidence, but you see, the winner takes it all. Thus, <laughs> in the Beowulf, man a much sung, honey badger string, a total windstone. Thus, in the Beowulf. Ladies and gentlemen, the Starry Beast! You got more tragedy for the money that you have not yet put into the, t- into the hat uh, tonight. This podcast was put together by me with the sound recorded by the excellent Stephen Harvey. And the music was by Samuel Wilkinson and George Brofton. It's time to go.